Cinema Sit Down, episode 215, a review of Under the Silver Lake, April 23rd, 2019. Hosted by Ryan Bull and Tony Christ. The following podcast has been approved for all audiences by Flying Bull Productions. part of any film is the sit-down afterwards. Richard Lofsk and Ryan Bull bring you Cinema Sit-Down. Welcome to Cinema Sit-Down. My name's Ryan Bull, and I'm one of the two hosts of Cinema Sit Down. Normally, I'm joined across the table by Richard Lusk. Unfortunately, he's not able to be here today. Uh, we've decided to upgrade, uh, promote one of our uh, fans, Tony Christ. Uh, he's been on the show before quite a bit. Today, he is officially one of the co-hosts of the show. How's it going, Tony? Uh, it's going good. How you doing, Ryan? Doing great. Uh, I'm glad that we've got you back on the show Uh if you're listening to this podcast, if you've just picked us up, Tony was on the previous show, 214, when we reviewed Creed 2. Uh, it's been a couple months, but we're back, and we're planning to be doing about two reviews a month. And I guess we let you pick what you wanted to review for your first show as a co-host, Tony, and you picked Under the Silver Lake, uh, the third film from director David Robert Mitchell, who about two years ago released the horror movie It Follows. And in this... Uh, film we have Andrew Garfield playing Sam an intelligent but without purpose uh, middle-aged adult who finds a mysterious woman swimming in his apartment's pool one night she disappears the next day and Sam is all over LA trying to find her in this neo-noir conspiracy film uh, what'd you think of this Tony um yeah it was uh, pretty good uh it's one of those ones that took me uh a little bit of time to watch it uh um as we were watching it because i was i was slowly kind of digesting it as i watched it uh you know looking up you know stuff about it reading about the director um i remember you had you guys had uh reviewed it follows you know probably about a year or so ago and I've never gotten around to watching that, but I'm thinking if it was like this movie, I got, I've got to put that at the top of my list to watch. Um, I'm looking at my notes as I watch the movie. The first thing I say is, uh, what the heck is this movie? And it's, I said, <laughs> I like it, but I don't know if I get it yet after the you know the first viewing. Oh, yeah, no, this is definitely, I, I don't feel like this is a whole, like, a whole lot like It Follows. It Follows is classic horror uh, with a very strong visual style, which this movie has, but this movie's more towards going towards um, like my blue velvet or uh, blue velvet, not my blue velvet. Right, right. <laughs> my blue heaven. Yeah, this is some sort of like David Lynch inspired film. Um, there are elements of Donnie Darko that I see in this. Maybe even a little bit Lebowski. Yeah. And I guess w- watching this, I-, I was entertained as I was watching this film. But the whole time I'm going, is this a film that people are going to see and it's going to be a beloved cult classic like a Donnie Darko or is it going to become more mainstream like The Bid Lebowski or is this just one of those films that disappears rather quickly from view? I don't know. I thought Andrew Garfield was really solid as an actor in this. He 
showed some comedic chops that I've never seen before out of him. Yeah. Yeah, he's got that uh, kind of weird quality because um, yeah, I think he's British, uh, but he's got, you know, so he can kind of do an American accent, but you know, kind of borders on like kind of a whiny accent. So some parts you kind of want to like, you know, he's crying about something, but in other parts he's, you know, happy. You don't know if he's going to that psychosis. Uh, you know, is he kind of like a, like a Hamlet? Is he faking it to become real? You know, does it, you know, does it the madness, you know, take over or whatever the issue is, you know, like the obsession with following this girl. I see, uh, like, that's one of my questions too. I, I have not seen it follows, but I was asking if it, you know, is it like this? Uh, and my kind of more, not really like it's like a, it follows, but more like, is it a weird bent on a well-known genre where, you know, it follows, takes the trope of a horror movie and turns it up by saying clearly this, you know, bad guy follows from person to person. And here's like, it's a noir, but it's a modern LA. But even then, I think it's, you know, it takes place like five years in the past, you know, so it's a near uh, movie. It's not like a distant past. It's not a future. It's like five years ago. Yeah, I think I was reading that supposedly this movie takes place in 2011, which is odd because, like you said, it's close enough in the past that it it doesn't feel like it's aged a whole lot, but there are small things like the cell phone that he uses. It's like an inverted, it's like an inverted like Black Mirror, where Black Mirror always takes place in the near future. This one takes place in the near past. Yeah, and that's kind of interesting why, because... I feel like you could have set this movie in present-day L.A. I'm not real sure how L.A. has changed since 2011, you know, such a way that you couldn't do this. Right. And, yeah, Andrew Garfield, you don't really understand what his motivations are. He seems to just be a, a loser, for lack of a better word. He's early 30s. He's trying to hold on to his youth. He doesn't have a job. He doesn't really have any money. And then he you know, meets this beautiful Riley uh, Kilu. Kilu? Sounds good to me. Yeah, she's Elvis's granddaughter. I've she's been that. in some other films. Uh, I know Lusk and I had wanted to review Hold the Dark, but we were unable to. She's in that film. Uh, that's available on Netflix. Uh, okay. An Alaskan wilderness horror supernatural thing. But she's really magnetic when she's on the screen. Unfortunately, she's on screen for the first 10 minutes of the film, and then she goes missing for a, a large chunk of the film. That's right. She's one of the uh, Mad Max uh, girls, too. Yeah. And, like, Logan Lucky. So she's kind of got that type of, you know, she doesn't have a lot of dialogue, but she has a presence already, which is really a good quality to have for, as an actor and actress because, you know, a lot of actors today don't have that where they really just blend in with everybody. Oh, absolutely. And I felt like watching it, and I knew that she's Elvis's granddaughter. I, I can feel some echoes. Like, you can tell this is part of, uh, that she's part of Elvis's family, that yeah. she has a little bit of his gene pool, kind of like when you see... Um, other actors who come from a family, the Barrymores, for example. Right, and there's... There's, there's just a presence that's there. Um, I mean, there are lots of other acting families as well. Yeah, there's... A, and it's been years since I've seen him in anything, but there is... A, a Michael Douglas has a son. I forget his name, like Luke Douglas or something, uh, who he looks like a combination of Michael and Kirk. 
And so you can see him, and he's a guy, and he's you know tall, skinny, strapping, you know strong jawline. So you've, I've seen him in a couple of movies. It's and it's like, oh, you could play your grandfather. Like if you're, they wanted to remake, you know, uh, Spartacus, you could play Spartacus again, and nobody would bat an eye at it. Oh yeah, no, a- absolutely. Uh, to go back to something you said earlier, you had to pause this movie a couple times. Uh, originally, this movie was supposed to come out last year on June twenty second, and then it was moved back to December, and then they pushed it back. It was supposed to come out on the nineteenth, and it did, but really limited. We ended up having to watch it video on demand. So, I mean, for me, I'm watching it privacy of my own home. Like you, I paused it a couple times. I rewound stuff because there are some startling things that happen right in the film yeah do you feel like that helped you being able to pause this movie going being able to go and look up stuff or would this have been better to go watch in a theater i think with a the theater i would have a lot more questions and it reminds me of again when you guys reviewed it because i think you guys saw it in theaters was nocturnal animals where i again <laughs> i had the luxury of watching that you know through Redbox. i think is where i got it from to watch it and that's the one i had to pause it because now because that one because it's a story within a story and i think they even go one level deeper so i have to like pause and say which who is who in this story and what's going on because i think some some actors play the same parts and some actors play different parts uh within the story and so very much i, I could see walking out of a theater thinking well, I don't know if I like that or if I don't like that. <laughs> oh, well, and when you say walk out of the theater, yeah. that's one of the, that, that was probably the best part of Nocturnal Animals, even though I don't know, I'm on the fence on that film. I love going to a movie and going, well, I'm getting something out of this, but other people are just getting angry at the film. Right. People got so angry at Nocturnal Animals and there were five or six moments in that film where people walked out of the theater. Right. In this movie, I could see people walking out. Um, there's a quick scene with an animal. Yeah. When Andrew Garfield's just walking at the beginning of this yes. film, I could see some people going, Oh no, no, I'm not, I'm not being a part of this and walking out. I'm not sure. I think Mr. Lusk would have that problem. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think Lusk would have enjoyed that scene. He's the only guy I know who doesn't like, uh, it was a John Wick or something, where, because of the basic plot point of the first, like he won't see John Wick because of the first, you know, 20 minutes. Oh yeah, no, he's definitely one. If the website does the dog die, if that wasn't in existence, he would have to create it right, so. to protect himself. But, so. Which I get, you know, it's like, I was talking with this, another uh, teacher, uh, movie uh, teacher I talk with about like assault on precinct 13 in the, in the original one, when the gang just shoots the kid right away in the first five minutes, it's like, yeah, that's, if you could stomach that, you can make it through this movie. If you can't, <laughs> this is not the movie for you. You know, this is where it starts. Oh, true. But I kind of like when a film does that because, you understand that the film's willing to take chances. It's willing to push boundaries. Right. So you don't know what to expect. And to this film's credit, I did not know where it was going from one moment to the next. Oh yeah. No, if that's always a good thing to not be really aware of what's going on plot wise. And I mean, I had to go back and think about stuff and I've even gone back and rewatched a scene or two. Right, uh, and then I mean I've been on Reddit, uh, and and we'll get into the the codes that are within this film. Yeah, the, the um, uh, the hobo code and all that stuff. So I'm sure that there's a lot to digest. 
Yeah. I don't know if it comes together in a great film. It, it does make for a hard film to recommend to a lot of people. If, sure. if you can get through it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think that there there is a payoff. I, at the end of the day, it, it does paint a complete picture. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's not one of those where it just ends. I think like kind of like a big sleep where they have all these good small ideas, but nothing at the end that ties them all together. Um, but that's why I had, that, I had that comment here too. I said I don't know who I'd recommend this to other than you or Lusk. I think we could recommend this to our European listeners. This was one of only two American films that was uh, at the Cannes Film Festival for uh, the Palme d'Or, yeah. their top overall award. The other film was Spike Lee's Black Klansman. Oh, okay. So I think that that's really interesting that this gets nominated and you know apparently was seriously considered for the top honor, though here in the United States they're yeah. not even given this a, really much of a release in theaters. I mean, I feel like this is one of those cases where it was in someone's contract that they had to release this in theaters, kind of like those um, old WWE films. Right. It has to have one day in a theater, and then it can yeah. go to DVD within a week or so. Yeah, I, I feel like that's one of the cases, which is a shame because the director of this, David Robert Mitchell, who also wrote this, he did the same with It Follows. We mentioned that earlier, a uh, supernatural tale about, you know, the supernatural element that's trying to kill teens. Right, which is big with, with high school kids would love a horror movie. This was a oh, little yeah. bit more than that. That film did really well with no marketing budget. It was it didn't cost much to make, and it did really well. Yeah. But they don't trust this guy, again, to, you know, market a film and to put it out there. Uh, the cinematographer of this is Michael Giaukulis. He did It Follows, which, I mean, we've already said has good cinematography. He's done the last two um, M. Night Shyamalan films, oh, I Split yeah. and Lass. He also did Jordan Peele's recent horror film, Us. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and Us definitely has some weird visual stuff in there with the like underwater, the subconscious stuff. And, you know, I haven't yeah. seen Glass yet, but Split for sure. And this is a beautifully shot film. It's definitely meant to be seen on a big screen. I don't understand why you get this top talent in here. You've convinced people like Andrew Garfield to work on this film, and it just can't reach a larger audience. I I, I think it's a shame. Well, yeah. Is, is it a film you're going to watch every week? No, but I do think that this could be a cult classic. This could be something that really develops a fan base. I just don't know if it gets out there. Well, yeah, and like looking at the cast too, you've got you know Andrew Garfield, who was a big thing. He had the, the two Amazing Spider-Man movies, <clears throat> but kind of died off there. And even Topher Grace from you know he was big, you know, was that '70s show, but you know hasn't really. So you have a lot of like I don't know, say near misses, and you have like Elvis's daughter or a granddaughter, uh, and like Jimmy Simpson, who I like, uh, is in it because uh, uh, he he has a recurring spot on the show. Uh, Psych, he plays a. Uh, um, a, a serial killer like fan in that show, and so it's all these kind of near, almost you know they're like the top of the bottom or the bottom of the top of actors right now. They can't quite break through because the spots are kind of full. But like you said, like if you just market it one way or the other, it could actually be pretty big. Yeah, and I guess we're in the new days of streaming. Blockbuster has gone away. Is it possible to have cult films nowadays? 
Because it used to be you could pass around a, a DVD and say, here, you, you need to watch this. Oh, for sure. We, and, and, and like when we went time. to college, there were films that did not do well in theaters, but so many people bought the DVD or rented it that it became successful. Movies like uh, Super Troopers or The Matrix. Uh, Equilibrium was that way for you. I remember you and uh, and Brian brought that up to us. And like you were the first in line to see it, I think, in the theater and the first one to buy the DVD. Yeah, we just randomly went to the theater, uh, a group of us in college, and they're like, yeah, this is a new film that's out. And so we watched it, and we told everyone to go watch it. It was out of theaters by the next weekend. Yeah, and I remember... But you're right, it was something that got passed around on DVD. And now that we're, we're doing streaming, unless this comes to Netflix, how do you... How does this get passed around, or or... Do we just n- not have that anymore? I yeah I don't know because I think Netflix is is doing the thing now with uh, with like a Bird Box and there's a couple other ones. There's that Will Smith Alien movie where you could have the really you know low budget or you actually even high budget, but it's a very simple story or a different story. But you just need one star in it to make it big. So you have mm-hmm. Bird Box, Sandra Bullock, but there's nobody else in that movie that you are aware of. Same with like. Again, whatever that Will Smith Alien movie was, you need uh, the, you, right. Yeah, you have the one a, you have the one A lister, and then you can pad it with the rest of the, you know the you know the B or the C listers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's how you can you can get those cult classics, which actually goes back to like the Grindhouse movies, where you'd have the one star who wasn't even in the movie. They just cut some film with him in it to put him in the Grindhouse movie, but say it's starring so and so, you know, and that's mm-hmm. that's how you got people to go see those real low budget movies. Oh yeah, they're still doing that with Nicolas Cage films. <laughs> but yeah, well, you know, he, you know, he's got some debt to pay. Hey, bring it back to Elvis, but he's got some debt to pay. So he's had like twelve movies come out in six months, but they're nothing. <laughs> and it's all, it's all checks to the IRS for him. Yeah. Um, I guess with this film, I know when I'd watch, and I keep referring to the Bid Lebowski because to me that's probably the closest plot-wise. Yeah. To this film. In The Bid Lebowski, everyone loves the dude. You want to keep watching him. Sam, I don't know if I like him. No, you know, when I'm watching it, too, uh, I see it's like, you know, my question, too, as I'm, you know, I, I do a stream of conscience as I'm taking notes. I go, you know, is Sam drunk or high? Because I never really see him doing drugs. I don't remember if he does or not, and it's such a big part of movies now. Guys are just... He never intentionally does drugs as far... Or right. no, 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 I'm sorry, no. He, he smokes weed Okay. at one point. He does that intentionally. He accidentally takes acid later on. Right. So the idea is, you know, so is that it? And you mentioned, too, and that's the plot of the movie. It's like... He's an underachieving genius. So, you know, is he drunk or high or is he just a frustrated genius? And he's very, you know, kind of holding Caulfield like to me where he's the narrator. But, you know, he's unreliable because he is frustrated. He has whatever obsession. And, you know, as people, you know, anybody who is a near genius or incredibly intelligent, they can mess with you a little bit. And they have this imagination that becomes real in a lot of ways. You know, and it's mm. kind of like a beautiful mind, even with Nash, where he's just, you know, you're watching halfway through the movie before you realize, oh, this guy's actually got some issues going on. And and that's where if you rewatch it, all these things kind of make sense. Yeah. And the I movie. I don't know. Yeah. I just don't know if he's a genius or near genius. Yeah. I, I, I'm not convinced of that. 
Well, you never see anything that, that proves it. Yeah, you never. Yeah, like, like a like a Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind. You you know he's a genius because he can do all these mathematical formulas. He's just got you know he just sees people that aren't there. <laughs> yeah, and I mean Andrew Garfield's character of Sam, he does have this mystery to solve, and he does put together a lot of the clues. But I I guess I, I think it, he's supposed to be a loser. There's a scene fairly early on in the film and I'm not going to go into any great detail because I think it's one of those that will be shown in clips on YouTube Mm -hmm. where he finds that his car has been defaced right and he takes action yeah I'm laughing at that I understand why he wants to do that I hope that I would not make the same choice that Sam makes in the film right especially because I'm a teacher yes but there was a certain cathartic joy to that scene. Well, and I think, and I think you mentioned it too, because if his character is supposed to be in his thirties, so what, you know, five, six years ago, we were, we're the same age as Sam is, you know, even five years later or eight years later. So, you know, not that you and I are like him, but we certainly know people we have common friends who are very much like Sam. <laughs> Where they, sure. We have common, we, we know people who are very much like Sam in a lot of ways. Yeah. In a lot of ways, hopefully they would, uh, not deal with their car being no, not not that, that way. But, but where they just float, like you said, the, like no job. The, the average audience member, though, are they supposed to enjoy the way that Sam deals with that situation? Is that designed to get the audience aboard? Uh, oftentimes in films, you have that save the cat moment, right? With your hero, <laughs> is this a subverted save the cat moment? Now, I I think the Sam is if you're like in our age, you can. Uh, uh, you can relate to Sam. If you're our father's age, Sam's a loser. If you're younger than <laughs> Sam, he's a whiner. Like it's like, what is this guy? And I, I just see like, you know, it's, it's, it's not really the same thing. But I remember as a kid watching, or my my dad telling me as a kid watching All in the Family. You know, he identified with uh, with uh, Meathead more than Archie, but he watches reruns of All in the Family now. He identifies with Archie in a lot of ways, where you just grow up with it, where you realize this guy has no job and he's living in my house and he's telling me how I'm a bad person. And then as the adult, like that's not the way it's supposed to work. <laughs> you know, so I think I think the, uh, so I think you know, if we, you and me and we took you know your dad and my dad and go and set this movie, we'd have very different viewpoints of what this movie was. <laughs> Oh, my dad would watch 20 minutes yeah. of this film and just he'd be done with it. And I guess one of the reasons why I have trouble thinking of Sam as the hero is the way he thinks of women. He's only interested them in them purely for their body. He's got a neighbor whom he spies on and he first sees Riley Ke- Keelu uh, out by the swimming pool in her bikini. Right. He doesn't know anything about her. He is visited by uh, Ricky Lindholm from uh, Garfunkel and Oates fame. You're right, right. Uh, and she's just referred to in the film as the actress. She doesn't even get a name. In fact, a lot of the other characters he runs into, the female characters, they have names like Balloon Girl or Shooting Star. He so- never Songwriter, actually, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't know who they are, and he doesn't really seem to care about them for anything other than their ability to help him immediately with his problem, or they have to just be beautiful, and and he wants them for their beauty. I I, I definitely think the director's trying to say something about Hollywood and the way that you're only useful if you're beautiful. Right. Uh, 
there's an escort service that's made up of like former child stars <laughs> and, and one of them he's like why are you famous and apparently she was on a soap opera when she was five right which is really creepy then. yeah so there are definitely some shots uh fired at hollywood in the hollywood uh, establishment maybe that's why this isn't getting a larger release and then that could be too um it's i like that you mentioned the uh the uh, pool stuff, and uh, we talk about there are a lot of references. So I don't know if this is something for spoilers or not, because there are a lot of the, it's kind of like Ready Player One, where there's just a lot of different tiny references. Uh, but if somebody want to get into it, you know, we can talk about some of the like. The, like the, I think I know what you're talking about. Uh, it's in the trailer, the oh, Marilyn Monroe stuff, right? So yeah, they, I think that's fine. And that's fine because um, as one of those coincidences, coincidences, I, I I love Marilyn Monroe. She's one of my favorite. Uh, actresses uh as a kid and like an actress in the sense of you know like she was beautiful it wasn't like you know couldn't wait to see her next movie or something uh but like niagara was, was one of my favorite movies but the one they do in the in this one is from what should have been her last movie and uh last year i'd, I'd gotten the Marilyn monroe dvd and it had as much of the film of uh, her last movie called something's got to give uh in it it's got, it's got like 30 minutes of it that they actually filmed um and got to watch that with them talking about making it so it's kind of cool to see that in the movie where i'm watching and say oh i know exactly where this is from and the set is pretty much the same set too where they filmed the movie it looks like like it's a recreation where it's a pool surrounded by uh, like an apartment on like three or four sides like it's a community pool mm-hmm. um so I like that, and um, it was cool to see, you know, that movie. Oh, yeah, the the set design, or I guess the location that they're choosing to shoot, because this looks like it was filmed all around L.A., uh, there are definitely references to Something's Gotta Give. Uh, there's a lot of Hitchcock in this film, yeah. especially, like, Rear Window. There's right. uh, some of the mannerisms uh, that Andrew Garfield does are very reminiscent of Jimmy Stewart, and even just the whole idea of balconies on apartments and what you're able to see in other people's lives yeah is very much a part of this film well very much like uh like about jimmy store with rear window but also the one you know one of the better hitchcock movies that is kind of confusing is vertigo or i've watched vertigo like two or three times and still don't quite get everything you know it's it's one of those ones they have so much different things it's what's real what's not real going on in it Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it's very interesting. Like same with here, because like we mentioned, he's the, kind of an unreliable narrator, you know, how much of this stuff, cause it's so absurd. Like there's a little bit of truth in what he's doing, but you know, it could be something as simple as he saw this girl one day, she invites him over, but like that could have been a hallucination, hallucination, but he's so obsessed now that he needs to find her, even though, you know, she probably didn't even say, you know, if it was like a real life, probably just said hi to him. And it's like, oh, yeah, you should come by sometime with no meaning that he should actually come over. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess oh, we should probably get into spoilers at this point. Okay. Okay. So spoiler time. Sounds good. All right. You can definitely argue that everything that happens, the whole detective story is all just like a Jacob's ladder type thing. Jacob's ladder being the famous film where this guy hallucinates the whole film as he's dying. Right. Uh, Tim Robbins stars in it. It was a 1980s film. This definitely, you could argue he's just on his balcony watching his topless neighbor and he hallucinates the whole, uh, Riley bit because, then he goes at the end of the film and he's just hanging out with the neighbor, the topless neighbor. 
Right, as if nothing's happened. Yeah. I I definitely feel like you can make that argument. And that's one of the problems. The whole time I'm watching this, I thought this is some, this movie is created by someone who loves films, understands films, and is definitely trying to have callbacks to all these films and reference them. And, and that's fine. I love The Bid Lebowski, you know. Once again, to go back to that, that's a retelling of the Big Easy, right? Right. But they put a whole new spin on it. It feels like something original. I never in this film felt like this was something completely original. I felt like this was just a really smart film student who knew a lot of stuff, had a fairly decent budget where he could go and recreate some of these favorite moments, reference all of this stuff, but. I never felt like he had his own original message that he wanted to convey to the audience with the exception of here. Let me take a couple pot shots at the sexism in Hollywood, which it's kind of topical. That, that's a side the bit of this. Yeah, it, it, it is topical, but it, it won't be but it won't part be, of the me too movement. No, though. but it, but it won't be topical. In, well, cause he pulls, takes a shot at him, but Garfield's character, Sam, does go after women, much like the, you know, like, not as, you know, as criminal as the other guys did, but he is just using the women, too. True. Uh, but he's not ever in a position of power. In fact, it seems at, like it's more of the film, we find out that, yeah, the, the really rich people, they're able to uh, bury themselves so that they can go off to the afterlife and they get to have three wives. Right. And in fact, uh, Riley's character has decided not to be with Sam because she can go off and be buried underground. Right. Yeah, that part when he figures that out, it's just like, but it's so funny because it's such a kind of a Hollywood, you know, like one of Paltrow go-op thing where it's like, oh yes, these are mystical stones that do this. It's like they do, they're stones. They don't do anything, but it's Hollywood, so it's got to be true. Yeah. Do you know where that bunker scene took place? No. It's the bedroom scene from 2001 A Space Odyssey, the very end of that film. Oh, okay. That's, it's the exact same location. Yeah. So, again, I, I feel like this is the director trying to show off like how smart he is. And, you know, look, I've got all these Easter eggs in here. With his previous film, It Follows, that whole thing was an allegory for um, STDs because the supernatural element... Uh, will only kill you until you have sets with someone, right? And then it goes after that person. So it's the whole idea of you know STDs and and you're passing on right. the possibility of death. You know, right? You know, your STDs, AIDS, or something like that. Which fits I, I with- felt like he had something more to say. There, there was something deeper there. This everything just seems very glib and self satisfied. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, uh, as I was watching, I was, was then wondering too, like, you know, throughout the movie, they, uh, you know, the, which is again kind of a sign of our culture, of our, of our age group, is that the TV or movies, they're always on in the background. And I was kind of trying to watch and see, and sometimes it seemed like the old shows he's watching or movies would pay off, like in the next scene. So it's kind of like they're setting it up. Uh, but sometimes it didn't, you know, it was some, I, I can't remember now exactly, but it seemed like, you know, if he's watching like a cartoon, then something very cartoony happens to him in real life, like within five minutes. Oh, uh, oh yeah. Our characters are talking about the importance of video games and how much it has, you know, influenced our culture. And that becomes the key to finding out where to go next. Right. 
Um, oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Critics are kind of split on this film. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes had this film at 51% after 79 reviews, so that's not really great. No. Um, and it's not overwhelmingly negative or anything. Uh, Metacritic has it at a 61 out of 100, though they're basing that only on 19 critics, so... People are kind of positive. Like I said, this is a gorgeous movie. It's very well filmed. I, I like the actors' performances. There were moments I laughed. There were moments I was surprised. But I don't know. Overall, I don't think this is... Uh, this definitely isn't a film that I can recommend to many people. No. I've already told Lust to go watch it. <laughs> That's good. So, uh, uh, would you recommend this to most people? I think if I, to I, anyone, I've got some you know art house film uh, film fans that I'm, I'm friends with and I work with. So there's some of them. If they ever bring it up, I can I'll talk to them about it. But it's not one because this is one. If I recommend to go see it and they go and then they come back, they're not going to take any other recommendations from me. Uh, but if they happen to mention that they go, hey, have you seen this movie? I would say yes, and I would say if you you know kind of if you've liked Nocturnal Animals or you liked uh, It Follows, then this would be the movie for you, or you would you'd get more out of it. Um, yeah, yeah, but I think there are many other directors. Uh, you're saying Nocturnal Animals, so sure, I'd recommend a Tom Ford directed film before this. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, the guy who did The Master, or uh, yeah. I've had some people talk about having gone and seen The Favorite since that was nominated for Best Picture this year. Oh, okay. At the Academy Awards. Yeah. And they're like, who's this Yorgos Lanthimos guy? And, you know, should I go watch The Lobster, which is a movie that we reviewed on the show? And yeah. I thought it was one of the best comedies of the year. I like The Lobster, yeah. But that's a hard movie to recommend to most people. But I would recommend that before i'd recommend under the lake or under the silver lake right you, you definitely have to build up to it maybe if someone said hey i like donnie darko is there anything yeah that's like donnie darko sure but donnie um, darko is from almost 20 years ago now which yeah. makes me feel old and sad right but uh, i remember i could uh, keep coming back to it but i think people my age or our age would could could kind of get some stuff out of this because you know i was thinking yeah, one of the things i had too and i know no it took place in the early uh, like 2010s but you know sam is dressed like a hipster he's dressed like a guy he's wearing like you know uh the um character reference tees you know the cultural reference cultural takes but in like the skinny jeans but the women's there's a bathing part where they're at the bathing uh, at the uh, swimming pool and they're wearing like the 60s and 70s styles bathing suits which again might be a very hollywood thing to get those designer bathing suits you know so it is very you know interesting how they do that yeah to me i saw that as part of just being a hipster and everything yeah. you know that the the retroness of the whole thing makes you cool yeah and then the uh the when he sees the old man on the playing the piano the uh the songwriter who wrote he's written every song they say and you know he's playing all the, like the he's playing crazy train and he's playing tell me why and he's playing the cheers theme song he's playing all these great great like i you, you know songs without words and it's just like you know who what is this like this guy just has the rights to all this music so he's just gonna play it in the movie yeah um end of the day if you had the chance to see this, uh, should people go and try and find a theater near them if they can to watch this? Uh, buy it video on demand, wait for it streaming, or just 
completely skip this? I think. What I would, would you recommend? I would put it uh, if you have a list of like ten or fifteen on your Netflix. I would I'd put it near the bottom of that, so you get to it eventually. <laughs> but it's nothing you got to you know wait for. And that's one of the things I have too. Like the 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 movie for for me anyway. Um, it's just a little too long too at certain points. It could have been trimmed up to like about ninety minutes because I think it comes in at over two hours. Yeah, it's well over two hours. I think it's closer, like two hours, ten minutes. Yeah, I, I that's th- too long, and I think that affected its ability to be in theaters. Yeah, because you only get so many plays. Under two, you can get that extra showing throughout the day. Yeah. So. Because I've seen some. I, I would say wait for this for streaming as well. So I see some some theaters are doing this for the. Uh, where I live, uh, the movies don't really start till like 11, maybe even noon a lot of times during the day or during the week. Uh, mm-hmm. But for like the Avengers, because it's the three hours, they're, they're, the first showing they have of one of those is like 9 o'clock in the morning, which you know I've been here in this house for four, almost three years now, and they've never had one before like 10.30, except for kids' shows. So mm-hmm. to, to have a big movie at 9 o'clock is like, they really need to get, they want to get that money in there real fast. I like that you bring up Avengers because that's going to be our next show. Oh yeah, we're doing right. Yeah. Uh, or are, are you okay with watching a big budget film? I'm fine. Uh, <laughs> arguably, the movie, the 2019 film that will make the most money this year. Yeah, I, I guess the other one that's up there is Star Wars. Right. They just released a teaser for that, and that's got some people um, talking. They, they tra- yeah, they they've been talking about that for the last week since that trailer dropped. Yeah, and you know it's an, it's a one minute trailer with no no answers, but you know nothing's answered. But everybody thinks that they're gonna try and fix what they did with the last Star Wars movie. <laughs> and it's like you, there's nothing there's nothing in this that tells you they're gonna fix anything. But people have hope that they're gonna fix it. But if you if you nail the last uh, film of a trilogy, th- then people don't care about what's come before that. If oh, for it sure, ends up leading somewhere. And that's the question we're also going to have to answer when we do our next review of Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Does tw- that land? Not not a trilogy, but whatever's <laughs> the term for the 20th film. The, 20 sec- the film? 22nd movie of the trilogy. <laughs> yeah, that's just crazy. And Not counting it, Deadpool. It, it, it's or... weird. No one had a whole lot of faith in superhero films to tell multi-part stories. And now Marvel has told this long story that at times has been great at times it's been mediocre and at times it sucked i'm sorry i'm looking at you incredible hulk and uh (laughs) iron man 3 yeah but everyone feels like this is just going to nail it yeah i'm really excited to see what ends up happening uh do you know how you're planning to watch this film are you doing imax 3d uh just doing uh traditional 2d regular theater uh i don't imax i I, i've got some sound sensitivity so i can't do the big you know surround sound stuff it it pierces my ears and 3d Uh because i wear glasses every anyway 3d bothers me to have to wear two sets of glasses yeah Uh, i'm going to be watching this uh on a it's it's a good size 2d screen won't be imax uh, i'm planning to watch this uh thursday night my local theater york river crossing they like to do <laughs> He's sponsored uh, I gotta throw the sh- shout out no no we're not sponsored they don't pay anything t- towards there but uh I-, I love them they're an independent uh theater uh just themselves uh i love it i, I think they have a really good yeah experience so shout out to them. They're doing a Thursday night show on yeah. the film. What do we and see? There? I know that I have to see this 
before I go into work on Friday, because unfortunately my students will ruin this film for me. They tried to ruin last year's Avengers for me. Oh, okay. But I had seen the movie on Thursday night. Uh, it's like, um, I've, I've got honors kids and I've got seniors. And so I've actually asked them who's not going to be here like Friday. Cause they're going to like the midnight showing and a couple of kids raise their hand. <laughs> like, that's fine. Just want to know, just want to make sure, you know, we're not planning too much to go ahead. That's cool. Is this your most anticipated film of the summer, or do you have something else? Uh, for the summer, yeah, probably. Um, there's a couple because I've got the daughter, so there's a couple later this year, like Frozen 2. I don't know if she really wants to see. Uh, and that doesn't come out until like, closer to Thanksgiving. Um, mm-hmm. And then even we might do either Aladdin or The Lion King. She kind of likes those, but they're not top of her Disney movies, you know, the cartoon ones. So we may be able to wait on those. Uh, Toy Story 4. Oh, that's that's another big one, too, for her, yeah. She really likes the Toy Story movies. Are you worried that the theaters are going to mix up which film they're showing you? Because that same weekend the Toy Story 4 comes out, uh, Child's Play comes out, the reboot of the Chucky series. Yeah, so... Well, I'm really hoping people end up in the wrong theater, and there are some funny stories that well, come out <laughs> in the news about that. I remember in theater in high school wanted to go see uh, Analyze That, the sequel um, to Analyze This, and they started playing Harry Potter and I think The Chamber of Secrets. And I had seen that one the week before, so as they started playing it, I go, I'm in the back row, and I start knocking on the window, and I said, you're playing the wrong movie. And whoever I was with goes, you can't do that. I said, they're playing the wrong movie, so I'm just knocking on the window. <laughs> and finally somebody's like, put their head on and goes, stop doing that. And then they fixed it. They play, started playing the right movie, but I've never been known for my like grace and etiquette. Just boom, boom. You're playing the wrong movie. Well, that's why we like having you on the show. <laughs> you're, you're going to tell it as you see it. Yeah. So I guess uh, that's our review of Under the Silver Lake. Next time for episode 216, we're going to be covering the Avengers Endgame. Uh, maybe we can get Lust to join us on that. Yeah. Uh, I tend to doubt it, but he will be on some future shows. Uh, I, I, there are a lot of films coming out this summer. Oh, for sure. And, uh, he'll be joining us, but uh, you're also going to be a, a frequent host on this show, and we're glad to have you on the show, Tony. Oh, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Hey, glad that you're here. Um, there be dragons. Memento Mori. What did you think of today's show? Did the guys get it right? Or are you wondering what movie they watched? Send in your review by tweeting at CSD Podcast, emailing cinemasitdown at gmail.com, or messaging us on facebook.com backslash cinemasitdown. Cinema Sit Down is a Flying Bull production. All right. Well, it's good. Go ahead and hit stop.